The fall of Afghanistan happened quicker than almost anyone expected. Passport office is overwhelmed, visa agencies are overwhelmed, and so are embassies. Ultimately, they lost confidence, political, military confidence. Afghanistan political leaders gave up and fled the country. An estimated 47,000 Afghan civilians died during the last 20 years of conflict. The U.S. lost 2,325 service members in Afghanistan, and more than 20,000 were wounded. Afghanistan's former government lost over 66,000 members of the army and police during the course of the war. In total, the United States has spent about $2.26 trillion on the war in Afghanistan. But before the final withdrawal could occur, the Taliban made rapid gains across the country. Considering we went to Afghanistan to oust the, the, the Taliban in 2001, to give it to them back on a silver platter, basically, with no resistance, no fighting, is where that sense of abandonment and betrayal actually comes from. And then you start watching them systematically suck up all the small provinces, so they're gaining traction. Some people have called it a blitzkrieg, and that's what it looked like at first. But it seems clear that actually Taliban commanders were calling up people all around the country, local mayors, police officials. As the country crumbled in the lead-up to the withdrawal, tens of thousands of Afghans who helped coalition forces desperately sought refuge from the retribution of the Taliban. I would not take seriously, as some commentators unfortunately have, Taliban's offers of amnesty and promises they'll work with people and that people will be safe in their homes. We've already seen this isn't true. And on August 26th, a deadly attack on U.S. forces and Afghans seeking to flee left 13 service members and dozens of Afghans dead. They were heroes. Heroes who've been engaged in a dangerous, selfless mission to save the lives of others. With the world's attention on the massive international evacuation ongoing out of Kabul's international airport, it's apparent that no one could have predicted what was in store for Afghanistan in August of 2021. On paper, the Afghan National Defense and Security Forces had around 300,000 troops. But because of widespread corruption, this number was likely much lower. For years, I've been writing about the fact that the government was a corrupt government. That aid and money went in, and these officials pocketed it. And the fact that Ghani and his cohort ended up taking, from what we understand, bags of, of, of money with them on their way out, again shows that money was more important than people's lives. During former President Donald Trump's final year in office, a peace deal was reached with the Taliban that would have all U.S. forces out of the country by May 1st, 2021. In his last few months in office, he accelerated the pullout of U.S. troops, leaving only 2,500 on the ground in January of 2021. The U.S. and the North Atlantic Treaty Organization committed to paying $4 billion per year for the Afghan National Defense and Security Forces until 2024, but that wasn't enough to stop the Taliban. Uh, the reality is there was no stalemate with the Taliban. The government has been losing its war against the Taliban steadily, week by week, month by month, since at least 2012, if not earlier. They've been losing districts across the entire country. And let's not forget, most of Afghanistan's population is rural in nature, and this is where the Taliban is at its strongest, or was at its strongest. So in order to recreate a stalemate, which we have previously failed to do, we would have actually had to add more forces into the country. The U.S. withdrawal took a dramatic turn on July 5th, 2021, when the U.S. left Bagram Airfield in the middle of the night without notifying Afghan officials. The Afghan National Security and Defense Forces were largely dependent on the U.S. for air support, medical support, and most importantly, logistics like wages and food. Kunduz, Herat, and Kandahar fell to the Taliban advance. 
Afghan government forces low on supplies and demoralized by the U.S. withdrawal negotiated and surrendered to the Taliban that besieged them. By August 14th, Jalalabad and Kabul were the only two major cities left. Surrounded and cut off, Jalalabad surrendered on the 15th. And they just uh, marched across the country. There was a lot of shooting, but not nearly as much as one would have expected from a Taliban takeover. Shortly after Kabul stood alone as the only major city under government control, President Ghani fled the country, signaling the end of the Islamic Republic of Afghanistan. Taliban walked into Kabul virtually unopposed as residents began to look to the airport for a way out of the country. By August 1st, the U.S. had withdrawn a significant amount of troops and material, and without the U.S. providing security, the bulk of contractors who provided critical technical support to the Afghan military had also left as well. As the situation deteriorated, thousands of Afghan men, women, and children ran onto the runways at Karzai International Airport. One Air Force C-17 flew a reported 823 people out of the war zone, the first of many flights by the U.S. and allies to get thousands of non-combatants out of the country. Some Afghans and U.S. citizens flew out of Kabul on commercial flights before the security situation deteriorated, and some seats on private flights after the Taliban took the city sold for around $100,000 according to the New York Times. As Afghan security forces fled their post as the Taliban gained control over the capital, the U.S. military stepped in to provide air traffic control and assist local and NATO forces with crowd control. Refugees were flown out to third countries such as Qatar, Kuwait, and Germany, among others, for processing and eventual travel to the U.S. This is also going to bubble into a crisis, because even once we get these people out of the country, uh, we do not have the capacity to process this many refugees at once. Neither does the United Kingdom. Turkey is dealing with its own massive refugee crisis, obviously at the moment with Syria, as is the rest of Europe. So this is going to be the next big problem. Afghans and U.S. citizens in Kabul found it difficult to get to the airport and pass Taliban checkpoints. And although over 100,000 people were evacuated from Kabul, many Afghans seeking to flee the Taliban were left behind. The suicide bombing that targeted a U.S. manned checkpoint pointed to a deteriorating security situation for U.S. forces as the deadline for the final withdrawal approached. The deaths of these service members, as well as the tragic loss of life on the part of so many Afghans seeking nothing more than security and opportunity uh, is something on the hearts and minds of everyone here. The shocking image of Afghans grabbing onto a C-17 Globemaster cargo aircraft in a desperate attempt to flee made it clear just how high the stakes were in Kabul on August 16th. Watching Afghan men so desperate to leave this country and so scared for their life, they'd rather fall out of the sky holding onto a C-17 than try something else. The UK has promised to take in 20,000 refugees, Canada another 20,000, and the number the US will take in will also likely be in the tens of thousands. It's a welcome move, of course. I don't think it's enough. Um, I think with what's going on and the fact that this is you know, this isn't just an Afghan crisis, this is a regional crisis. Um, I think there's a huge responsibility that we have towards the people and the burden now falls on us to protect them. On August 24th, the Taliban cut off access to the airport for Afghan citizens. Attack on the Abbey Gate was followed by a number of ISIS gunmen who opened fire on civilians and military forces. This complex attack on the 26th made clear the risk of staying beyond the August 31st withdrawal date. In the U.S., there's a debate brewing over how many Afghan refugees to let in, or whether to let them in at all. Now, thousands of Afghan refugees are awaiting visa processing to eventually settle in the United States. 
Uh, during the Trump administration, we know that Steve Miller was successful in actively undermining attempts to get the State Department in gear and get moving on this. But there's a bigger bureaucratic problem that is that moves across administrations as consular affairs at the State Department is chronically underfunded and under-resourced. And so we shouldn't be surprised that when we under-resource this important part of the State Department that they're not able to deliver. There's also a cultural problem at the State Department, so it's sort of the perfect storm. The Taliban have captured a significant amount of military equipment, and the U.S. had spent $83 billion equipping the Afghan security forces over the last 20 years, which means that millions of dollars worth of items, including armored vehicles, small arms, and even aircraft, are now in the Taliban's hands. We've been leaving behind equipment, and the Taliban have been taking equipment for many years in Afghanistan. So this isn't a new problem, but the scale of it in, the, in recent months is pretty staggering. Women in Afghanistan are in a precarious position of hoping that the Taliban's implementation of Sharia law is less cruel than when the group was in power in the 90s. Maybe they've changed strategically in terms of their use of the social media and trying to seem a lot more diplomatic and the mo with, the, with the sole motive of seem, seeming legitimate and wanting the international community to accept them as the government of Afghanistan. But in reality, you know, there's a lot of skepticism in terms of what, what those words mean. It's really unclear if the gains that have been made for women and girls in the country under a supported democracy backed by the United States as well as coalition forces, if that's going to continue or if those gains have been erased. Much of the Taliban's funding came through illicit markets, tax collection, and trade. When Kabul fell, only a small fraction of Afghanistan's reserves were available inside the country. The Taliban could be facing a cash crunch as they shift from an insurgent army to a governing body. Not like the U.S. where, you know, you check your bank account at 12.01 on payday that morning and you don't see it, you're upset, right? You're like, what the hell? You know, Chase Bank or, you know, for UCNBC, like, where's my money? Over there, it's like, we'll get it to you in a week, and two weeks later, maybe you get half of it, and you're like, well, thank God, my family can eat again. And the final piece when it comes to the money is, you know, is it is it enough to get them through the next 90 days? 